One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the show that uses the way songs sometimes become indelibly connected to our memories as the foundation of our conversations. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this week is Jason Teeters. Jason is nurturing lead at the Collaboratory in downtown Fort Myers. His bio says he helps people overcome the emotional, psychological, and technical challenges to successful collaboration to create new possibilities for ourselves, our community, and the world. As an industrial organizational psychologist, Jason says he believes that economic and social systems can be built inclusively and not at the expense of human dignity and the health of the planet. His work has included partners like the Rockefeller Foundation, the United Nations, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Second Muse, the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, and the NGO Movember, where he delivered the first-ever mental health and wellness program for black men. Outside of work, Jason says he enjoys traveling the world with his wife, who's a fine art international wedding designer. In 2015, they were married in Marrakesh, Morocco, which serves as their inspiration for the names of their two children, their daughter Mara and their son Cash. Hey there, Jason Teeters. How are you? I am doing well. I am doing well. It's so nice to see you. So you've been on my list or our list for the longest time. So I'm glad I bumped into you and we made this finally happen. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you say that to all. No, you're, all it's, this is absolutely true. <laughs> uh, remind me about when did we first meet? When did you start hanging out with Robinson and that crew? Because I was talking to Tessa and I said I think it was the '90s, and she's like, I don't think he's been here since the '90s. So no, no, I came in '02. That um, would be about. I was right. a, um, and John and um, John and I worked at. Stero together. That was I it. think 04. So we used to carpool. And then I hung out with his Motley crew. Yeah, I remember that Motley crew. So, um, <laughs> okay. So on your way to the station today, were you listening to music? Yes. I was listening to uh, all the songs uh, that I had on the list for today. Oh, you were doing a little homework. Yeah, you know, getting back into that vibe. How do you normally listen to music in the car? Uh, typically Apple Apple Music because it has a broad selection. I could pick really moods instead of uh, albums. Understood. Do you ever listen to terrestrial FM radio anymore for music? Yes, I do. Uh, WGCU, NPR. But for music. For music. Which, by yeah. the way, thanks for the shout out. Yeah, you like that. Yeah. <laughs> <you go. laughs> um, yeah, I think 105.5, The Beat, every once in a while I'll play around, especially when I'm driving. If we're doing long trips, mm-hmm. oftentimes I'll just try to catch a, a radio station as I'm going through a town or a community or a city. So you work in downtown Fort Myers, so you're within the listening radius of the Tiger FM. Have you ever come across that? I haven't. You need to check it out. It's a low-power station out of Dunbar High School, 93.3, mm. and they play anything. I mean, it's not like normal radio. Like you hear songs, you're like, I've never heard that song before, (laughs) but I like it. So check out the tiger. I always like to give a little shout out. Uh, So where were you born? I don't know where you were born. It wasn't in your bio. So where were you born and how would you characterize the musical background of your childhood? I was born in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. uh, After the blizzard of 78, right around that, 78. Yes, an interesting background of music. I think 
of course, my parents uh, grew up in the in the soul, so it was a lot of um, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Isley Brothers, Bill Withers, Quincy Jones, uh, a plethora of uh, of music that they enjoyed. There was a lot of soul, and then uh, Dad got a really good opportunity to move us uh, to another community, which was about an hour away, uh, which uh, put me in a space where I was, what was it, like 25% of the black population in, in that school. And so that got me hip to country and hmm. little fish, little wow. dancing around the room, a little um, Credence Clearwater Survival, Alan Jackson, little, a little bit of everything on the Chattahoochee. Um, and so I just, it, it started really expanding from that, uh, around the exact same time, you know, hip hop, rap, gangster rap, G thing, uh, Snoop Dogg, a lot of those easy E NWA was, was mixed in there. And so I was really, um, finding a flow and a vibe of music throughout my childhood. Uh, a lot of, um, a lot of experiences from people that I was around to listen to different types of music, and I enjoyed the music. Um, if you try to recall the, like a super early musical memory, are there any musical memories you know crystallized in there from when you were a little kid? I think the the one I know for sure that I still do um, earliest memory is Sunday uh, breakfast. My dad mm -hmm. would always play music. Uh, historically, I found out a lot of times he traveled; he was on the road, so. That was typically the time when he would get ready for his week, and so it was like a family, family thing. And then when he started being home, it just made sense that every Sunday was the pancakes, the the blues or uh, jazz, spiral gyro, or something playing in the background. You know, all the stuff that I was like, "Dad, this is killing me." <laughs> in <laughs> retrospect, the, you're like, "Man, you were cool." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for thanks for sharing this with me. Uh, can you think of a time when you were younger that music moved you somehow, touched you? Mm. I think for me, you know, it's so funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It was uh, Skid Row. Okay. <laughs> 18 in Life, mm. which was really interesting. I just started just started getting my first tape deck, and I had uh, Tone Loke, Tone Loke, Funky, Cole, Cole Medina. Medina. Right, that I would play a lot, a little Milli Vanilli, blame it on the rain, you know. And <laughs> they were singing. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, one of my friends, I, I got into skate, I got into skating. So Thrasher magazine, ripped jeans. My parents thought they lost all control. Uh, and then my buddy gave me a Skid Row tape, and that eighteen in life. What was it about up. that song? Like, can you remember what it made you feel like? I think at the time. You know, we just transitioned from being around a large family group to being just, you know, mom, dad, and myself in this new community. Uh, and so I know it, it took my parents a lot to make that move. But for me, uh, probably sort of felt alone. And so that song really hit with this, like, breaking free, right? Like, mm -hmm. really pushing up against the system. And so I think that was my sort of... Uh, love your rebellion moment. <laughs> um, do you have any musical memories stemming from your grandparents? I don't. No, I don't. Uh, unfortunately, uh, both of my grandfathers were passed by the time I was born. 
and I lost both of my grandmothers probably before my freshman year of high school. Hmm. Brothers or sisters? Uh, yes, I had an older sister uh, that I spent a lot of time with. Well, she was 14 years older than me, so I was basically annoying her. <laughs> what was her music, and did it influence you at all? Yes. Um, you know, embarrassing moment. I remember my sister had some friends over, and <laughs> I walked into the room, and it was, they were all huddled around the TV, and it was the first, like, video of Thriller. Oh. You know, and so I'm watching it with them, and Michael Jackson in his prime, and this, this, this movie. It felt like yeah. Uh, the movie. The original release was like a movie. Yeah, it was. It was beautiful. And I, it was and a huge event. I actually saw it in theaters when the newest Halloween movie uh, released. Oh, they replayed it? it. I watched it on Halloween, uh, and they played the full movie thriller. <sighs> Right before we seen Halloween, and there's like a group of kids sitting in the theater, and you know at the very last part, you know when uh, Michael turns to the camera, his eyes are all yellow, and the laugh comes in. Right, all the cre- all the kids were screaming, they were freaking out. It was wow. hilarious. Imagine watching that on a cathode ray tube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and then and then you remember the guy was it Vincent Price. Yeah, who does that? Vincent Price is awesome. Yeah, man. and I remember that in my childhood. That who right? So I I I saw the I saw the video with all my sister's friends, and then went to bed, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and I had to go past the bathroom to get to my sister's room to ask her to turn on the light for me in the bathroom because I was so freaked out. She wouldn't, so I hate to hate to say it. I, you know, like any young child, afraid I I peed myself right there. Wow, <laughs> you just admitted that on the radio here right? in Southwest Florida. Right, um, Michael Jackson, scary oh. dude, <laughs> scary dude. I mean, I was I was about five, six. Yeah, at the you were well, like yeah, a kindergartner or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't like last week. Did you ever play any instruments? Uh, drums. Well, I was uh, I was in the band. In the percussion section, I don't think anybody would have thought that I played anything just because it was Did so you hard. Just rise just to the level of triangle. Yeah, I was like the la- I was like the <laughs> second to last seat, like second to last seat. I just couldn't get. I think they were called umlauts. So it was like now it was an interesting thing. There was one thing they were trying to teach us, and I couldn't get it down. And now for the life of me, I could play it every time you hear me drum. I'm typically playing that. That beat. And you're thinking about how bad you were then. Oh. Um, Okay, it's time for your first song, but last question. When was the last time you bought music that you could hold in your hands that had some sort of physical form? Mm. Uh, Probably about two weeks ago. Oh, wow. uh, I go down to the record shop uh, downtown across from. Joe's. Yep. And I just just bought, um, what were the two albums? I just bought an... um, Miles Davis, but I don't know the name of it offhand because it was, I never saw it before. Joe, it's like when he was twenty. Huh. It's got a really like my. I mean, he looks like a a kid. Huh. And it's got some really upbeat ticks to it. So I got that album, and then I got the um, Kanye double was four album disc with nothing on it. Can't even doesn't even tell you what songs you're playing. How big's your music uh, library vinyl wise? Uh, I probably say I'm up to maybe fifty. Okay. Um, all right. Well, let's get to this first song, this Bill Withers song. What's going to happen next? Yeah. I, you know, I'll set the scene. I think um, 
for this song, um, what was happening at the time was uh, my grandmother or my uh, my dad's mother was sick for about two months in the hospital. Uh, and then uh, uh, during that period, she passed away. And so this is my mom, my dad, and myself on the day of the funeral driving down uh, to the funeral. Uh, and me sitting shotgun, which was which was something that wasn't usual when mom and dad are in the car. Uh, so me sitting shotgun, and um, as always, my dad just listened to music, and this song just came on, and it was a moment. What kind of car was it? At the time, my dad had a minivan. But one of those, he's always getting, he always loved the latest editions of vehicles. But this was uh, one of those slick media, uh, minivans for taking kids. I was playing sports, so you throw all the team in there. So it was like one of those like where the doors, the first, the first group where the doors would automatic open. You know, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. one of those. Well, let's picture you riding shotgun listening to this. This is Jason Teeter's first song on this week's episode of Three Song Stories. This is Grandma's Hands by Bill Withers from his 1971 album, Just As I. I am. If I get to heaven, I'll look for grandma's hands. Was there just total silence in the minivan during that? Yeah, yeah, it was. Ugh. I, I, you know, music is mu- music is a really good example of uh, time traveling. Because I mean, just instantly, it took me back to that to that trip, and it was my that was my first probably my first time hearing Bill Withers, but my first time recognizing that this was Bill Withers and this song that I never heard this song before. And it was, you know, it was, it was really interesting, you know, because of the fact my, my father lost his dad when he was 12. And so most of his upbringing was his mother and his grandmother. And so, so me at the time, it was the, my first time ever dealing with loss. You know, I was an eighth grader, and how do I handle that, and what does that look like for me, you know, the ego as a child, right? I'm pretty sure I was upset because I was missing hanging out with friends or something, you know, because we just, we just don't think about it at that age, what's happening. But when that song came on, you know, I think my dad couldn't hold it. He couldn't hold it back anymore. Now, as a as a as an adult, I recognize the pain and the hurt. Uh, you know, not to have your your parents. So he was, you know, almost officially becoming an orphan again at the young age of I think he was only fifty at the time. So it was uh it was uh it was a lot to process, and I think um, you know even in this in this journey down to the, to the funeral is is taking so much longer to get to get through that uh, you know which is a big thanks to you right because just me trying to remember this story had me reach out to my dad and just sort of recall the facts of you know was i really in shotgun and why was i in shotgun right and all these things i just wanted to get clear up and the beautiful thing about it was the way that when you see someone vulnerable that that uh, to you you think isn't, had you ever seen them be that openly emotional before? Never. Well, listen, the other emotion, me cleaning my room, 
<laughs> <laughs> but no, never, never the, never the pain, right? And and my dad and my mom have their own story of all the things that they went through. That was just you know like all parents, right? Uh, and so me reaching out to dad, just telling him about this this whole thing, re- required us to get deep into the story again. And it was it was uh, his own pain of his own grandmother, right? That that he lost around the same, you know. And that song relating to now me losing my grandmother. So it was almost this me dealing with a pain that he knows so well. He was seeing your pain through his own pain. And so it was. It was. It was. Uh, it was tough, but. You know, there's there's something beautiful that comes from that, and I think uh, for me, uh, it was really the start of understanding the with all the different aspects of emotions that that one can go through, and that it's not emotions are not limited by gender, uh, and so it gave me a real um, good opportunity to know that it is it is is important to let your emotions happen and, and free them of your anger or hurt or pain. And seeing it, you know, seeing it uh, in my dad was, was really, um, it was a beautiful moment that I didn't recognize at the time, but is, uh, it has been on this journey with me the whole entire time. Why were you riding shotgun? Uh, talking to my mom, she said that, I wanted to ride shotgun. And so I, my, my belief, right, is that I never requested it before. So I think that in some sort of way I knew, like, I wanted to be with my dad. What was your grandma's name? Gertrude. Gertrude. Well, cheers to Gertrude. Yeah. Um, when you were in high school, you kind of already alluded to this at the beginning, but what was your style like in high school? What was, what was, where did you fit into the equation? Man. Um, Man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I was an athlete, played sports, full ride scholarship to play college ball. So that quote unquote athlete uh, but I think at the same time, there was um, an unfamiliar. We, I, now we talk. Now I, I say it like hashtag the only one. Find myself in spaces where I'm the only one in the room, oftentimes. And so, growing up um, in an environment like that makes you really hyper aware of who you are, what you are, and and what's around you. And so that that gave me opportunity to fall in love with all types of things, art, music, drums, skateboarding, right? Because it was, it was almost the, the freedom of that. Uh, there is no expectation to what I can do. Um, do you remember any dances in high school? Oh, of course. Do you remember your first slow dance? Oh yeah. 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 What yeah. was the song? <laughs> you don't have to give us the details. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm just laughing, right? It was um, 
it was it was eighth grade, and I don't know if um, another bad creation ABC right. They had this song called "The Playground" and Aisha, and my mom decided to chaperone the dance. So it was it was horrifying. I didn't, like it was horrifying. Um, but there was a there was a young Especially lady. eighth grade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get down. Right? <laughs> People are talking about French kissing. Like what? That that happens there? Oh man, I, I got to be there. Um, but Rihanna Lesh was my was my first slow dance. She's a cool chick. I still she lives up in Tampa. Good friend of mine. She's married. A couple of beautiful kids. But it's so funny to think about think back then. And what was the song? Uh, the song was a Belle Biv DeVoe song. Oh yeah, right. I I don't. Th- it may have been Into the Road, or maybe one of their first, like one of their first songs on their first album. I can't remember that whole track list, but Belle Biv DeVoe. I haven't yeah, thought of that. Now you right, <laughs> Poison. Yeah, <laughs> that song was of everywhere. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. Before we get to your second song, um, at that time in your life, you said you were an athlete. You went. You played. You played college football. Yep. Um, uh, what was your position? What, what, what were you? Running back. Running back. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point in your life, were you hoping to go on and be a professional football player? Or were, like, what were your aspirations? Or did you have any concrete <laughs> aspirations yet? Um, I don't – I think I had aspirations to play professional football. But I don't know if that was – deep down, I don't know if that really was me – and more of the opportunity of like being in places and, and doing really you well. You were good at it. You were yeah. being praised for it. You, yeah. but I'm also five seven, and you know, a couple of guys hit me too much. I'm like, ah, I'm okay. But uh, yeah, the aspirations were uh, to go on and just keep playing football, and 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 try. Well, f- first step, try to get to college, and then from college, NFL. So I wasn't that thoughtful of like, yeah, I'm gonna make it to the NFL. But I'm like. I just want to. I want somebody to pay for my college. You said Fulbright scholarship. Is that is that a football thing? I don't think of that as a football. No, no, thing. full ride. Full ride. Yeah, didn't have to pay. I understand. Okay, I was like, you're a Fulbright football scholar. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm fully right. And where'd you go to college? Uh, Ball State, Indiana. Ball State. Okay, we'll get chirp, to chirp. we'll get to uh, that in more <laughs> detail. But let's do this second song, which I am. Uh, I'm both looking forward to listening yeah. to and almost kind of fearing it because it'll always take me back to some weird places, <laughs> right, man. man. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, this is uh, a breathe uh, in the air from Pink Floyd. What do you want to do? Uh, yeah, I just sort of set the scene. I think it was uh, junior year of high school, and uh, during the summer, going into our senior year, and there was uh, this place called the Water Bowl, and they would do concerts and events during the summer. Uh, and they had a Pink Floyd laser light show uh, playing all Dark Side of the Moon album. And if I've heard of Pink Floyd, maybe, but really not diving into it. So, of course, like uh, like most individuals, we tell our parents that we're staying out of each other's friend's house and we got camping gear. <laughs> In there, done that. <laughs> and, we, and we get out there and uh, I would like to say... You know, it's now trending in California, but uh, at that time it was my first taste of uh, psychedelics. And I'm sitting back and the laser light show is starting and Breathe comes on. Uh, and it was a really cool experience. So that's where we're at right now. Well, let's listen to it. 
got a little chill there. Um, this is Breathe. Um, it's the first track off Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. came out in 1973. It's Jason Teeter's second song on Three Song Stories. How old were you about then? Uh, 17. 17, so you hadn't gone away to college yet. Nope. It was on the, I was knocking at the door. How, if at all, did that time, that experience, that song, what that song says, inform your future? So much. So much. I, I don't think that, um, you know, even doing this podcast, we start to think about songs and which ones bubble up. This one really bubbled up for me, and it, it wouldn't go away. And I think, uh, you know, that opening, even even now when I hear it, in, in the moment that the first time I heard it, I was holding my breath. And he says, breathe. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's what I was forgetting to do. And that, to me, is such a metaphor about so much of life. We forget to breathe, right? We're so wound up tight and decisions and working. And, you know, they talk about all that you see and all that you do is all you'll ever be. And we're not living, not being present. And this song showed up in so many different ways. Uh I listened to the Dark Side of the Moon album to put me to sleep all through college. That was my, you know, when you play something. So it something. did stick. It, not, it wasn't just an experience. Yeah. It, it changed some directions. Yeah, it sticks. And every time it feels like I'm nervous about making a decision or I'm in some place new or something just sort of feels like is bubbling. Somehow the song always comes up. And interestingly enough... Uh, if you'd ask me my last two albums I bought, uh, the week before I ran into you at Publix, I just got the Dark Side of the Moon album from Joe's. So wow. it was like, so that whole week I was listening to like, oh my gosh, I have an album for him. You know, it's almost like what, the way you just described it, I, I get that. It's almost like a like a like a talisman or a Rosetta Stone or something. You know what I mean? Like, like, cause you, I go back and it just takes me to all these places, but it always resonates with where I am. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. it's like time travel, but time travel to the present. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's how it, that's, that's how it always sits. Right. And, and I think everybody has, they may have multiple songs like this, right. And they may have certain songs that really stick out. Uh, but this one for me, just that the whole album, but this first part, uh, I never knew how much to me that song is resonating just in society right now, right? Of this like collective breathe, right? Like you have everything you need, right? You have everything you're, you're, why well, run to an early grave, right? Like let's enjoy this while we can. You know, and then not to get all like hippy dippy <laughs> existential here, <laughs> but you it. know, you talk about like, you know, be here now, be present. Um, you know, the more ways we have to connect to the rest of the world, that's great. But mm-hmm. that's all not here. And we all live everywhere now. So how do you be here fully? Yeah. And and look, I don't have an answer, but the, the thing that resonates with me in that song is when he talks home, right? And, and in that moment, when I was 
listening to this and watching this and this experience, it's almost like I realized that I am home for me. Like I know what I need to be right. I know what, right? And so it, it always seems like when that song comes up or when I think about this, it helps me stop and say, you, you have everything you need, right? Remember that. Just breathe. Like you're going to be okay. And I think oftentimes, you know, in our day-to-day schedule, how often do we stop just to, to breathe? Jared, were you going to say something? You looked like you were going to say something. I was. Uh, you said something. You said something about um, uh, being here now, and I, <clears throat> I was going to ask you, like, do you mean physically or in other ways? You know, uh, in other ways. In other, yeah. ways, you know, um, being present in the moment, uh, knowing exactly what's going on around you in a deep way, and not just being somewhere, even though your head's elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. No, that, right? no, that, no. I I love that. You know, one of the things that I I I've started to think about when I go into places is um, just that, just just being present, right? Oftentimes I'm like, oh, what's, what's Mike going to ask me? Okay, I better have a reply back. Well, that's not me being here. Yep. I'm not able to respond or adapt to whatever question you ask because I'm trying to predispose, like, I want to sound great, so let me give him the thing that he wants to hear instead of just... It's one of the hardest things about learning to become an interviewer is to not always be doing the math about where you're going and staying here, you know? And and it's still not entirely easy. No. (laughs) Um, Okay, we've gone down the psychedelic rabbit (laughs) hole, so now let's talk about uh, Ball State. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So you played football at Ball State. You listened to Pink Floyd every night to go to sleep. Yeah. Any musical memories stemming from your times there besides (sighs) that? I mean... I mean, that's a job. Like, everything came out then. Uh, uh, Wu-Tang, um, Jay-Z started hitting big. Uh, we had, what was it, uh, From the Windows to the Wall. I don't know if everybody remembers that song. I forget that guy's name. Outkast start, started getting really big. Nora Jones started releasing albums back Little then. Little John and the East Side Boys. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Little Wayne was just starting out, 400, deg- 400 Degrees with Ja Rule. So there was some, there was, uh, you know, it was interesting. I think um, hip hop started to take Eminem, right? So hip hop started to really make a claim. It feels like for, for me during those college times, um, became really popular. Clubbing times, I guess I was in clubs all the time. So yeah. <laughs> See any concerts during your time there? Yeah, yeah. I um, I was fortunate enough, even though I'm the smallest guy on our team to some extent. I was fortunate enough to get a lot of bouncing gigs. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Which is good because then I just let the, the big football players, they yeah, get the bar. Yeah, you were there for they moral wanted, Yeah, they wanted people to pick on me. Just they'd be like, oh, let me get my guys. Right? Um, but I, You're a filter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bait. <laughs> <laughs> we could pick on this little guy. Uh, but uh, I, was, I had the opportunity to do um, – Security for concerts. Oh, so you got to see some concerts yeah, from like so some stage side. Or, yeah, yeah, Santana, Ooh. which I love Santana. Uh, Santana, DMX, uh, the families and the parents would go crazy for Jimmy Buffett. I think I've seen Jimmy Buffett so many times. A little Dave Matthews Band. So, yeah, I, I get to we see We just call him Dave on this show. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Were you cool with Buffett or at some point did Buffett go past the the expiration date? Well, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's uh, 
for me, Buffett had a really cool experience just because all my friends' parents loved Buffett. And so, you know, they were the ones taking the big charter buses down to Buffett the concerts. Parrot heads. Yeah. And so then the kids would come, be able to be there and they weren't paying attention to anything we were doing. They were, they were living out their best lives. And so it was always times for us to, you know, sneak a couple beers and have fun walking around. And so I really enjoyed it. But then when we moved to, when I moved to Fort Myers in 02, uh, I was living on Iona close to Fort Myers Beach, and it was right before I started teaching, so I'd have a lot of this free time. And so I spend a lot of my time reading uh, A Pirate Looks at 50 Yeah, out there on Fort Myers God, Beach when know, I first moved the first moved time I've there. heard that song said out loud since I turned 50. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I got a chill from mm-hmm. that, too. Um, what brought you to Fort Myers? Hmm. So uh, it was interesting – my senior year of college, myself and my roommate, Brian Kahn, who's uh, he was a quarterback and also a teacher and a football coach down here in AD. Um, during our golf outing, we met these two gentlemen um, that said they were teachers and football coaches in Fort Myers. And at the end of the 18 rounds, they were like, hey, if you decide after you graduate that you want to come down to Fort Myers, we get jobs for you. Hmm. So my buddy Brian was already in education, so he already knew that's what he was doing. I was in PR, uh, got an opportunity for an internship with Edelman in Chicago, unpaid. And so my parents were like, I can't pay for you to live in downtown Chicago yeah, for a year. I can't you to live in the cheapest market in America, <laughs> yeah. let alone Chicago. Right. So, <laughs> so I took up the offer and uh, took a couple of tests and came down to my first year of teaching was at Dunbar High School. All right. Wow. Where the tiger gets broadcast yeah, from. Yeah, I know. What did you teach? English. English. What was that like? Uh, it was horrifying. Yeah. Not not the not the experience. Um, but the idea that I was responsible for helping these young men and women go out into the world. Yeah, you had a job that was truly important. Yeah, and I and and I think that really linked back to my own experience in school, right? Of how I, you know, I was different. Like I didn't just want to sit there and just if I like I always say if I know now, like if I knew all I had to do was just remember everything, then that's what I would have done. But I was like always trying to, well, why and why? And then the when did this happen? What year? And I'm like, I wasn't paying attention to that. I was trying to figure out why they were there in the first place. Right. <laughs> and so uh being a teacher, I really wanted to connect with the children because it, it it felt like having someone to just sort of hear you and see you for me was really important. And I think the the four years I taught, I hope I know my wife gets upset because every time we out these kids, hi, Mr. Teeters, I remember when you taught me, right? She loves it. Uh, but they're always uh, out and about. And so I hope that I left a positive um, mark on, on the ones that I, were able, I was able to teach. So if you taught for four years and you came here in 2002, then it's been about 15-ish years since you were a teacher. So you're running into students who are like grown-ups. <laughs> yes. What's that like? <laughs> You know, it's uh, – I always tell them I'm a vampire. They're like, well, you don't look like you age. I like that. Keep it that way. Um, it's um, – I mean, I think it's like all things. It's a really beautiful um, timeline, right, to know that I had them in ninth or tenth grade, right, and now they have kids and family. And, and especially, you know, when they say something like, man, you were – you were telling me the truth, like exactly what was going to happen. 
And I think that to me is something that I look forward to hearing that because I think a lot of times we don't hear that as youth, right? Like, yeah, you, you need to, you need good grades to get a good job, right? But not, hey, if you don't, like these are all the things taking, making this decision is going to happen for you. And, and saying that and consistently saying that I think for me was one of the most uh, enjoyable parts of, of my teaching. We're going to miss a few years here. Yeah. But tell us about your role at the collaboratory. Yeah. So, um, how long have you been there now? A year, a little over a year. Yeah. So, um, man, I'm the nurturing lead at collaboratory, which when, when, when individuals say, well, what is that? What is that? Right. And you can always tell how people respond when I tell them my title about how they are with just yeah. it's like a nurturing, or, right? Yeah, you're yeah, like you're yeah. like either like, yeah, yeah, you're doing okay, yoga and meditation. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> this isn't real facts. Right. But uh one of the things that that I always consistently talk about as a nurturing lead is really my role is to help help people just get past the psychological, emotional, and the technical challenges just to collaborate, just to be in space together. And I think as a nurturer, my my talent in the work that I've done as an educator, as a organizational psychologist, as a coach, as a facilitator is really how do you create uh, the environment, the experience, and the exposure for people to start to experience something new, right? And And that comes from dialogue it comes from art it comes from music there's you know for the longest time we feel that the only way to know stuff is between your ears but we all know that if we really tapped into our gut reactions and our intuitive nature that those are just as important and and oftentimes we don't have space for us to listen to those things in a way that's um joyful and um empowering and so you literally get to try to facilitate helping people make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Reminds me, I don't know who said this. It's um, uh, what a teacher is, is a person who creates a place where wisdom reveals itself. Mm. And I think that's kind of like what you're trying to do. Yeah. I love that. Love that. Um, tell people what the collaboratory does, just, you know, broadly speaking, because there's some people listening that are being like, what is this place? It used to be the Southwest Florida Community mm. Foundation. So describe it in general terms. Yeah, it's um, – I mean, the simplest way is pretty dope. That's what it is. But but it's uh, – for the last 45 years, um, the Southwest Florida Community Foundation has been working across the region to really help nonprofits and organizations move forward in their mission to solve some of the most critical challenges to people across the community. And about – Three years ago, a little over three years ago, we opened the Physical Space Collaboratory, which is a, a laboratory of collaboration. But the idea really was to create space for the community to come together. Right? So often nonprofits, for-profits, artists, movers, shakers, creators, they're never in a space together. And so the idea was a physical representation of that. And I think that that really started to spark some some cool and interesting things that happened. And so... At the, at the core, we're a foundation, right? We're here to support the community. But one of the things that became really clear is that uh, we can no longer solve problems the same way we've been solving problems. 
And so we started on this mission the same way John F. Kennedy said, let's go to the moon with this idea of we want to try to coordinate the solving of all the social challenges in Southwest Florida in the next 18 years. For me, the best way I put it, what does 2040 look like to a child born today? What does the education system look like? What does the, uh, the media system look like? What does the housing, the water quality, all these things, what are we, who are we speaking for and who are we speaking to? And how can we, how can we bring people together to do this? Because this is you know, one of the things that we've learned, I think, in society is that nothing can be solved by itself. It takes everybody's lived experiences, their understanding, their knowledge to be able to solve some of these really tactical and, and critical issues in our community. And so we need everybody. And and so collaboratory is putting a line in the sand. Uh, and we believe this is the greatest American problem solving initiative in American history. And so we want the community, whether it be this year or year or 17.5, that whenever they're full, they feel ready to come on board to help us solve some of the greatest challenges in our area and be a beacon for other communities is what we're is what we want to do and what we're all about. And one of the interesting things about it is is it's in the old train depot, mm. which in downtown Fort Myers was a segregated train depot until almost 1970. Yes. And some of that old infrastructure is still in there. So this place now where everyone comes together to try to solve problems for everyone was that for many years. Yeah, and, and now everybody has access and opportunity to use that space to its fullest capacity. And even nonprofits have the opportunity with their 501c3 to get it without, without any cost barrier to them. So that's beautiful. And another thing that's cool about the train is when we think about ingenuity, when we think about innovators, when we think about explorers, they had to come through on that train station. So the Thomas Edison's, the Fords, anybody that came They all here, walked on those on those pavers. Right. And so we want to harness, right, the good and the bad of the past and bring it all forward so we can create a better future together uh, so this community can move forward and in a really positive you way. You might almost say in a collaborative way. Oh, well, you know, I don't want to use too many collaborative Okay, <laughs> um, okay Jason, it's time for uh, your third song. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to go ahead and set the scene. It's up to set you. The, yeah, I'm going to set the I'm, scene. I'm just, I threw it in your lap. Yeah, I got it. I caught it. <laughs> I caught it. I'm running with it like a running back. Um, yeah, this is a, you could sort of say this is a culmination of the previous two songs, but you know, this scenario here is that I am watching um, Beyonce's um, video, but it's more of a movie that was released on Disney plus. And it, and the cool thing about it was an adaptation of um, Lion King, but told through the story of a, of a young black boy uh, going through manhood. And, um, this is around the time that uh, so many things were happening in our society. Um, 2019. 2019. And we know what was happening in the next following years. And so uh, I was at one of those moments where anybody knows me, I'm really a upbeat individual. And I think for the last almost six or seven months in this journey of uh, going through the pandemic, there was some, really cool opportunities but really some tough things that were happening 
and this song and this video uh, hit. And when I saw it, it really shifted my perspective and the way I thought about the work that I'm doing. Hmm. Well, I'll have to watch it then. Yeah. Let's listen to it. Uh, Mood for Eva. Yeah, you I'm got not it. saying it right by you Beyonce. Yeah. Uh, from Lion King, The Gift. It came out in 2019, you said, on Disney+. Plus. Yep. Um, it's Jason Teeter's final song on today's episode of Three Song Stories. So what was it about the song and the visuals and the whole thing that did what you described earlier? Man, I think it was, you know, it's, it's what we talked about, this idea of, of coming home, right? And I think for, for the longest time, if, we, if I think back to my journey, right, it was, it was chasing and going after the things um, in a way that didn't feel like me. And so around this time the, the the pandemic hit, right, the song comes out, but the but the visual and the video didn't come out until a little bit later, early twenty. And so it was the pandemic, you know, the first first we were closed down, right? We were confined in our homes and it was a really weird di- uh dynamic that happened for some people. And you know, and I felt guilty about it for a while, right? Because here and for us, my wife and myself, our business picked up, right? I was doing global work and a lot of the global work was helping entrepreneurs to respond to this type of like change and shift. So every day from 8 a.m. to like 1 a.m., I'd be on calls working with organizations and large from the UN and Rockefeller Foundation and doing like places I never thought that I would be in. And now they're, they're asking like, Hey, how can we respond to this? So, so it was, it was, it was really interesting to now have more freedom because of the pandemic where so many people were being uh, um, locked down. And so that was, that was a tough. And for my wife, she's a wedding planner and every state closed down for weddings except for hers. And so now she would do 15 weddings a year. Oh, because Florida didn't shut down as much as everyone else. She was suddenly in the place where weddings could happen. I mean, people calling huh. two weeks out saying, we're going to do a wedding in Michigan. We got 200 guests. We just rented out all the Ritz. Da, 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 da. Can you do this wedding for this amount of money in the next two weeks? And it's like, well, we can't say. So now her business is booming. I'm on calls nonstop. We're just running crazy. And then, you know, the George Floyd murder which for me, I, I mentioned earlier, right? Uh, so often being the only one in a room and recognizing that. Well, now I'm the only one in the room and everybody else recognizes that even more, right? So there was a really interesting dynamic of me trying to be a chameleon to work my way up a ladder to now, right? Both of those, like, I see you, right? And now our decisions, how do we see you in this space? And so... So that was really, it was a different, it was like coming into into spaces now unarmed, right? Like now I'm there knowing that this is all going on. And so, and then I think maybe a week after the George Floyd is when we hit 100,000 deaths in the U.S. So like this wrestling of how do we honor the loss now, even to this day, like collectively have we honored all the loss? And so... All these things are happening. Emotionally, I'm starting to get drained because now it's a year of this pandemic and nonstop. How do I say no to these like really amazing opportunities? 
And it was just running me ragged. And then the biggest opportunity of all came in. I was given an opportunity to completely design and lead uh, the first ever mental health and well-being program for black men out in L.A. And I worked directly with influencers. So black male influencers, TikTok, YouTube, million followers. And I've been tapped to work with a, a large NGO to focus on how we teach mental health and well-being for black men that are influencers so they can create videos to then share across their platforms. And the first thing was like, am I black enough? Do you have some imposter syndrome? Yeah. And so, so, so now I'm designing, I'm getting all this really beautiful information from leaders in this space. They're like, Hey, you need to read this so you can design. And so now I'm, literally going through this self-examination of what they determine is really challenging for black men, but also for men in general. And I have to take that and then try to impart that on these individuals that are also out there trying to build a lifestyle and a brand and content in a way that feels like it can be owned by them. And so for that five-month period, we're in that space together it was it was really it was really anxiety for me to get ready for that sort of thing, uh, or back in the day I called it toxic positivity, right? Like oh, I could do this, no worry. But it was the weekend before our kickoff call with the internal team about the design that I was presenting, and I watched this video. and watched this whole thing, and it got to this, and this is that Akuna Matata, like in the Lion King, right? Is the Akuna Matata song, so it sort of leads up to this song so you're like oh this is the moment where you're like don't even care right and then this song comes out and the things that he talks about like this embracing of who you are what you are what you can be and that you have everything you need was really clear with all the all the things I was reading with the way that I look back at grandma's hand and you know and Pink Floyd all these things started to really circle around this idea that I was enough and so to have that opportunity to create this program, to watch this song as he talks about like, you know, Prince and Nas and Biggie and Michael Jackson and like, you know, letting people dim your light, right? Like all these things that wasn't me felt like was happening. And so this song, this moment really got me to understand that I, that I no longer have to worry about being something for somebody else. I just need to be me. Hmm. Wow. Ready for a speed round? Yeah, let's do it. Do you and your wife's musical tastes align? No. How do they most diverge? Uh, she likes um, dance hall music. So that's like reggae, dance hall. Oh. She loves it. She loves it. You a dancer? Uh, yes, I try to be a dancer. I have a theory that... You know, most women just want their husbands to dance. And why is that so hard for us to do that? <laughs> it's not a theory. It's a statement. <laughs> true, true. I guess that. Um, your, your kids are what, five and three or something? Five and three. Yep, Mara and Kesh. Uh, so you're going to show your five-year-old the full thriller video? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
I mean, I I tried to show her never-ending story, and as soon as she saw the character, like the big, she's like, nope, I'm out. So I can't even imagine if I showed her Michael Jackson. The giant rock mountain or whatever? No, the uh, trail. It was not a trail. Oh, what was the... The flying beast that was yeah, supposed to yeah, be cr- yeah. cuddly. Yeah, right, right? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, hey, honey, I love this when I was a kid. I put it on, and she saw that. She's like, nope, I'm out. Oh. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, can you imagine showing her thriller? Yeah. Like oh. you, you know, oh she, my gosh, she, she'd she have an that. accident on the way to the bathroom too. Um, do you have a nickname that stuck over the course of your life? No. <laughs> no? Um, Besides your last name? Yeah, everybody calls me Tears, but I think uh, Johnny Rob with the uh, OT City. <laughs> <laughs> um, karaoke? Uh, not the best at it, but I, I will try. Do you have a go to? I don't, but I always know that it needs to be something simple that everybody else could join in. So you're st- strategic I mean, I guess if I, if I have to do it, it's going to be Sweet Caroline. Then I know I don't. Right? Okay, you ready to sing Psych for us? Yeah. Okay, this is the TV theme song from the TV show Psych. Between the lines, there's a lot of obscurity. I'm not inclined to resign to maturity. It's all right, then, then you're all wrong. But you bounce around to the same damn song. You'd rather run when you can't crawl. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> I know you know that I'm not telling the truth. I know you know they just don't have any proof. Brace the deception. Learn how to bend. Your worst inhibitions tend to psych you out in the end. <laughs> Very well done. Thank you so much for that. Um, I think you'll have a good answer for this. If you were a championship wrestler, what music would you enter on? I would have to say uh, A-OK by, uh, what is the name of that? I can't think of the name. It's just a popular song that just came out. I love it. Oh. A-OK. New uh, popular song, Jared. A-OK. By Ty Verdes. Yes. Let's hear it and imagine oh. Jason walking out into the arena. <laughs> Paid version in there. <laughs> Dude, you got the moves right there. Listeners imagine right. him like living this moment. Right, and then that's when I kick it in and I jump right in on the mat this time. Okay. What's your wrestling name? Um Oteet City. <laughs> <laughs> um Okay. If you were a cocktail or drink of some kind, what would it be? Oh, that I'm, was like a distilled you, like something that represented your essence, not just like what you like to drink. Ooh. Uh, I would say it probably want something from a tiki bar. Something like with some tea, fruit like, in it, yeah, some rum like, in it, some accessories but, on it. But a heavy drink, but still cool, laid back. And what are we going to call it? Uh, we're going to call it um, O.T. City. <laughs> I, I knew you were going <laughs> to say that. Um <laughs> If you had to guess, what would you say the song is that you've listened to the most in your life? I would have to say probably, um, oh, what is that? It's a Jay-Z song, and it is, I can't think of it, uh, Hard Knock Life. Hard Knock Life. Um, Song you wish you could hear again for the first time. Ooh, maybe. Mm. Breathe. Mm. Mm. Um, you know what? I think it would be 
I know this is crazy that I'm bringing this up. Um, Uncle John's band. The Dead? Yeah. Huh. Why? Um, there was this, it was just like this perfect moment of, it was, um, I think it was freshman year of college. We were up at uh, Lake Cottage for the weekend. And it was just playing. It was just a really good, like, carefree, life's good. And I the remember salad days. Yeah, and I just remember listening, like, what is this? Okay. And and it was, uh, we played it a couple of times that day. It was a good time. I remember I, I, I'd heard of the Grateful Dead. I'd never really been around people listening to the Grateful yeah. Dead. I didn't know what Grateful Dead songs sounded like. And then, like, way too late in life, I heard the Grateful Dead. I'm like, oh, that, yeah. I, I didn't think that's what they sounded like. <laughs> yeah, right? Like. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the same mixture that I had. Like, who's this? Like, oh. um, uh, do you have a favorite song? Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's Lovely Day by Bill Withers. How can you not like that song? All right. It's my, uh, and it's also my, my wedding song. Oh, that's uh, beautiful. Like your first dance song? Yeah. Well, yes, first dance, but I think it was, it came way before that. Gotcha. Um, are there any songs you'll avoid listening to either because you can't stand them or they'll remind you of something you'd rather not be? No. No? No. I think, um, no barriers. Yeah. The beauty about music is that you, you learn something with every with every genre you listen to, and I think when we limit, well, at least for me, in my opinion, when you limit your genre, genre, you limit the opportunity to see the the bridges and the connections to to ways that either youth or uh, individuals listen to music. Um, if you could broadcast a song into the head of every human simultaneously, which would it be? Hmm. I think it uh yeah that's a that's a tough one. I feel like um that AOK song would be the one. Okay. Um is there a best album of all time in your opinion? Uh I I don't. No. I don't think so. I think um I think the beauty about music is that everybody has their own love for it. And so to consider something best, it's it sort of takes away from the the talent and the expertise and all the experience it took to really create that that song. Diplomatic answer. Diplomatic <laughs> answer. Um, uh, most recent band or musician that's come into your perspective? Anything you've come across lately? Oh, um, Cigarettes After Sex. Hmm. That's the name of the band? That's the name of the band. Huh. Not the activity. I've, I've never heard of them. <laughs> what kind of music is it? Uh, if, it, 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 it feels like a – man, it, it feels like a – It's categorized as a pop band. But it doesn't feel pop. <laughs> it, it feels – Genre says alternative indie. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, it's like it feels like a, a downer but an upper at the same time. Gotcha. You know, like you can have it on when you're chilling around it's the house. Hybrid. Yeah, yeah. Um, what would your 14-year-old self think of who you are here with us today? Man, um, that guy's pretty cool. Yeah. Be happy. 
Yeah. If you could throw some advice back at 14-year-old Little Teat City. Um, I think it would just be trust yourself. All right. You've done it. Time to recommend your three people. Um, what do we do with the recommendation? Just name? Yeah, just tell us briefly who they are and, uh, you know, and, and then you promise to make them listen to this. Yeah, I'll make them. And then connect them. us with them and we'll try to get them on. Love it. Uh, so I think uh, the first would be uh, a friend of mine, Malik Adigan. He uh, runs and owns uh, Curate Entertainment, which is a DJ. Got about 15 DJs underneath him. FGCU grad. Uh, really uh, does some work where he goes out to communities and speaks to youth about mental health and well-being, jack of all trades. Um, but he would be a really good, really good music guy. He he loves music. Uh, next would be uh, a friend of mine, Jonathan Romine. Um, works with me at Collaboratory, but he's been on this sort of journey uh, with me as well as we think about this discovery of ourselves. And... Uh, you know, in this time, we both did some uh, work with other organizations around just our own personal well-being. I think he really uh, has has done a lot of transformation in the way he thinks about his impact in the world. And I think he'd be a really and and he loves music, so I think he'd be a really good uh, good conversation to have. And then, last and certainly not least, would be uh, my wife, Corinna Saad. Ah. Yeah, I I mean it's. It's, uh, I mean, her story is, I mean, her story's crazy. Local, grew up here, uh, dad's from Egypt, traveled all around the world when she was younger to see family, reason why she started a wedding business, broke her neck, sold real estate, worked for Trump, sued Trump, uh, and now runs a very successful business where she's done weddings for famous people and all over the world. Well, I know you can put this in her hands. Yeah, put this right? in the other two hands too. Um, Jason, it's been so nice. You know, I think you and I have collectively spent 15 minutes around each other over the last 15 years because it's mostly like, "Hey, how you doing?" at Publix or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. it's been so nice to be able to sit down and have this conversation with you. It's been great, man. Uh, you know, it's just my drive here, and I'm, you started off like, "When do we meet?" You know, it was one of those that. Um, we all find we all find a way to come back into space together. So it's been such a pleasure to be here with you. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is online content producer and host. Chris Duffus is executive producer. And Jared, the intern, Gonzalez, is our production assistant. Our theme song was made by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. If you'd like to hear a slightly shorter version of this conversation, but one that contains longer versions of the songs, go to wgcu.org and click the Listen tab at the top of the page. For this week's Parting Tune, we're jumping back one year to episode number 183 guest, Stacy Chen Cannington. She's a former TV broadcaster here in Southwest Florida who's been doing sales around town for more than 20 years now. Stacy's second song was the one that back during her college days, she says she sang every morning before taking on the world. When I was in college, I played this every morning before I left, you know, my dorm room. It was like a, like just to get pumped up. Song. Yes, you know, because I was in the, you know, a baby of the 70s and we were, that was the women's movement. <laughs> and, and so 
I wasn't going to let all the, the terrible mean girls and bad boys <laughs> get me down. So I would play the snog. My roommate hated it. But, um, and of course, all my neighbors were like, oh, you're the one that plays that song every morning. So Helen Reddy, I Am Woman. And this would have been your dorm room. In my dorm room, yes. And you'd been playing it on what kind of like sound set? Oh, the, the little, the stereo I got from, you know, when I graduated that had everything. It was the... The turntable, the cassette, the eight track, right? The radio thing. Which form of of medium would you would you have been playing it off of? Oh, probably a cassette tape. (laughs) (laughs) Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. My friends hated to hang around me, you know, when it was music time, uh, or or we were in my vehicle. They all would go, "Oh no, not this again."